we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Well, let's give the Lord a praise. Can we do that? Amen. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I'm going to just kind of dive right into what I want to share today. And uh, I am thankful for what the Lord is doing. Aren't you thankful for what he's doing in your life? I hope you are. Because he's doing a lot if we'll pay attention to what he's saying and speaking in our world today. Luke, the 15th chapter, we're going to begin with the 11th verse. So if you want to go there, and we'll ask if you could turn the house lights up just a little bit so those who have their Bibles can see those a little better. Um, I, I, uh, I've been going through this series on the anointed or, or, or what it means to be anointed of the Lord and uh, last week we talked about Jacob and Esau, and today we're going to go to two other brothers, and we're going to talk about, in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. Um, but again, uh, part of my heart says this is mislabeled, because the title that you see in your Bible, if you have a, a, a most Bibles will have a title of what's coming up, will say the story of the prodigal son, but as I began to look at this, I saw so much more there than just the story of one son. I saw the story of two sons. I saw the story of, of, uh, of us in some degree or the other. I also saw the story that this doesn't speak of the failure of, of sons. This speaks of the love of God, the love of the Father. And we miss that a lot of times. We talk about the failure of these two sons more than we do the love of the Father that is demonstrated through all this. So we're going to look at this because, again, uh, there's parts of this story. I'm going to read all of it, then we're going to just kind of dive into some thoughts. Verse 11 says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of, of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took it, took a journey into a far country. And that's what we're going to focus on the most today is far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that, in the country, in that country, and he began to be in need. So he, he went and hired himself out to the one, of the one of the citizens of that country who had, had sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to, 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 feed, uh, to feed with the pods that the pigs did eat or ate, and no one gave him anything. I want you to kind of take note of that. No one gave him anything. Verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, he saw him, or the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older, older son was in the field, and he came and drew near the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angered and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered. And his father, wow, everybody awake now? He answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when, the son, uh, when this son of yours came, and I want you to note that verse, when this son of yours came, who was devour, or devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed and the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, let's drive into this story today. The story of the prodigal son is not a story about sin. It is a story about being lost. Uh, lost in, in, and not necessarily the badness. We want to focus on how bad he was um, or uh, 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 all of those awful things he did. The true emphasis is not on the sons, however, but on the father. In other words, it is an unveiling truth of the heart of God towards us. The central truth of this parable is the picture of the Heavenly Father's heart of love towards the undeserving sinner. The younger son explore, uh, exploded into rebellion. I don't know if anybody's had that happen in their life, but he exploded into rebellion. He began to go against, look, rebellion doesn't start with asking for your share. Rebellion starts with the heart. It starts with those little things, those little attitudes. And I believe that if you could have looked at this son uh, earlier on, before he demanded his share of goods, his attitude of rebellion had started long before. And look, if we're not careful, our attitude of rebellion towards God can start in little things, in little things, little attitudes, uh, little ways that we, you know, are, are thinking. And in other words, if we're not careful, our attitude towards God can begin to distance us way before we take the journey. And I believe that way before the prodigal ever took the journey into the far country, he was already very distant from the Father. He had already in his heart and in his mind had distanced himself through his attitude, through his through his his actions towards the uh, towards uh, his father and his father's love. So again, uh, understanding this is uh, the central truth of the parable. The younger son exploded in rebellion. In other words, he 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 rebelled. He rebelled. He rebelled. He he probably asked for forgiveness. Maybe he overstepped his father's authority a few times. But I think there came a point where he just said, "Enough is enough. I'm going to do what I want to do." And he knew what he wanted. He desired uh, his desires led him to gamble away all that God had given him or all that the father had given him. He gambled away the love of the father. It's a promise of temporary satisfaction of our, our fleshly appetites that the devil always throws at us. I'll, you can gratify yourself for the moment, but in the end it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. And I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. It lured him off uh, by the, this desire, lured him, this rebellion by the promises of fulfillment. In other words, anybody that goes and pursues 
lose uh, uh, the world. They are pursuing a promise that the devil gives them of fulfillment. See, this will make your life complete. Because we don't realize that when we were born into this world, we were born uh, into this world in sin. And as we grow up, as we get older and we mature, what we, what we don't begin to understand is that, that there's a hole in our life that only God can fill. And we will try to fill that void with something in our life. We will try to, that empty space in us is going to be filled with something. So if you are sitting here today and there's an empty space in your life, you're saying, I just feel empty. I want you to know today you will never fill that void in your life with anything but God. You need the presence of the Lord to fill that void. But the world will offer you in exchange everything it can to try to fill the, the, the space or the void in your life. In other words, he rebelled against his father. He showed that he was dissatisfied with his father's provision. His father's restrictions and his father's guidance were no longer necessary for him, or at least he thought so. So he was going to leave the bondage of his home, and he was going to go and live his own life. It was different with the elder son. He liked it at home. Not that he loved the father. I think there's a misconception there. Not that he was really in love with the father. I don't know if he was from what I gather from the story. Like the rest of us, he wanted to have it his own way. So he, he thought he was smart enough to manage his father and get what he wanted out of him. He loved him too much uh, to be interested. Uh, in other words, he loved himself too much to be interested in pleasing anybody but himself. Pride-born, self-conceit was the driving force of, of the older son. You got to see the comparison. In other words, the older son was after what he wanted. And he knew, I'm going to play dad enough. I'm going to play the father and I'll play him and I'll get what I want out of him because I'm going to be the obedient son. It wasn't necessarily that he was in love the father. It was that he was trying to, to get what he wanted out of the father. We need to understand this morning, there's a lot of people that serve the Lord, and I'm going to put that in quotations. They serve the Lord or they love the Lord, not because of, the promise of, of relationship with God, but they love the Lord because they want to get something out of it. In other words, they, you know what, I, I want to love you, God, because I just want to get out of hell. If the only reason you're serving God to get out of hell, that's a sad existence because you're going to be miserable. If the only reason you're serving God is the benefits of the kingdom, in other words, you know, I want his protection, I want his, you know, I want him to watch over me, then that's a sad existence because you are failing to see the greater picture. The greater picture is not just serving the Lord because I want stuff from the Lord. It's serving the Lord out of a, out of a love relationship, a love relationship with the Father. And I believe the older son was missing that. These are good pictures of, sin, of, of a sinful man. Victimized by sin, uh, deluded and deceived by sin, rebelling against the love and, 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 and restraint of the Father. This is also a picture of a, a loving God who patiently, lovingly waits the return of the prodigal. My contention is that the story represents two wayward sons. Even though one stayed at home, I think the other one was wayward too. I think both were, if you begin to look at the end of the story, both were away from the Father. Though one was physically present, then the other one was not. The one that was physically present was also distant from the Father. This is a great picture of, of, of what the reality is in our lives today. There are not, uh, in other words, there were not slaves, not servants, but they were sons. And that's important to remember in our story. that They were a part of his blood. They were a part of his family. 
And there are a lot of people that don't realize today that they can come to church every service and be far from God. They can, they can dot all the I's and cross all the T's and they can, they, they, they can say amen and they can uh, sing the songs that we sing and, and they can say praise the Lord and still be distant from the Father. It's not necessarily your position today physically. It's where your heart is and that's what we're going to get to. The far country was not measured by distance. Anywhere a man is away from God, uh, in, in other words, how is a far country measured? It's not measured by the distance physically. It's it, how far away are we from God? I'm going to tell you right now, I've been in church my, all my life, and there have been times I've been far away, far away. A world without God or, uh, or, or, or forgetful of God is a distant world from Him. In other words, the further away from God that you grow, the, the, the further the anointing of God in your life will go. In other words, you want a greater anointing. It's, in, it's, it's being close to Him, not just physically in the presence. I like what Jim said. I feel Him. I found Him here in the house, and I found Him here in my heart. Yes, I believe God is in the house. He promises He would be, did He not? Where two or three are gathered in His name. We've all quoted that Scripture or thought of that Scripture. Yes, He is here because He promised He would be here, but we can be in His presence and not feel His presence. We can be in His presence and not be changed by His presence. I want you to know today God is here. I, I, I don't I. I, will, I, I want to kind of uh, put it in this perspective. Um, we used to go to these large, large meetings of several thousand people when I was a kid. And when I got old enough, Dad would let me go sit with the other teenagers on the other side of the building. And we'd have to check in every now and then with him, let him know how we were, what we were doing. But we would get to sit by ourselves. Well, there was over 10,000 people in that building. And even though I knew my dad, listen, was not, present beside me he was still present in the building are you hearing what I'm saying and there's though he was there was distance there he was still present are you getting what I'm saying today so it is not necessarily us understanding uh, about physical presence a lot of people say well if you come to church you're going to get on you know you'll love the Lord and you're showing your love for the Lord you can come to church and despise God you can come to church and despise his teachings you can come to church and you say, no, I would never do that. You know how you despise his word and despise his teachings? Is when you come to church and you amen the word of God, but yet you go out and contradict it with your lifestyle. I want you to hear me this morning. When you amen the word and you want to hear strong teaching, but you don't want to practice it. That's despising the presence of God. I don't want to despise his presence, do you? In other words, they both sought to please themselves. The younger one was bold enough to say, give me what belongs to me. I'm out of here. And the older one said, I'm going to stay here, and maybe the father will kick off, and I'll get it anyway. I'll get everything. Both of them despised their position as sons. I want you to hear me this morning. Both of them, though one was physically present with the father and one was physically distant from the father, both were distant from the father in their heart. Whenever you are not in fellowship with God and your life is in a far country you don't be, that you don't belong in, in other words, there's some of us, we're doing things we don't belong or not supposed to be doing in our private life. That's a distant country from God. That's a faraway country from God. And so, again, whenever we're doing things to please ourselves, we're distant from God. They both sought to please, him, please themselves, and, and, and in that essence, both lived in faraway countries. 
this list the father. I want to list some attributes of this story. The younger son, let's look at him real quick. He said, Father, give me in verse 12. He said, uh, uh, he gathered all that he had and traveled in a distant uh, country, verse 13. He squandered his estate in, 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 with foolish living, verse 13. He spent everything, verse 14. He, sever, uh, he, he, he suffered severe famine when it struck, verse 14. He had nothing, verse 14. He went to work feeding pigs, verse 15. He longed to eat and fill his, his, his belly with the pig slop, verse 16. But he came to himself. Aren't you thankful for that? He came to his senses. In other words, number nine says this, verse 16 also declares what? No one would give him anything. I want you to know once the world has used you up you can't ask it for anything because it's not going to give it. Once the world has had its way in your life, you're going to be left empty and hungry and longing for relationship in your life and it's going to offer you nothing. Nothing. Amen. The older son, verse 28, he became angry. Verse, verse 18, he did not want to go, go into the house. Uh, and and join the celebration. Verse 29, his father pleaded with him. Verse 4, he, he replied to his father, I have been slaving. I've never disobeyed your orders. You've never gave me a young goat to even have a party with my friends. Verse 29. Then what? The son, this son of yours. I want you to hear the language in verse 30. This son of yours. This is the older brother speaking of the younger uh, son. He said, this son of yours. What is he saying? That's not my brother. I'm not related to him. I disowned him. He is not part of my family. He's saying, this son of yours. No relation to me. Anybody ever want to say, isn't that your cousin over there? No. Was that your uncle on, a, on, on, on Busted? No. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. He disowned him. He was done with him. Not because of what he had done to the father. This is my personal belief. But it's because he took part of what he thought was his. Amen. We have all been prodigals of the father's gift. In other words, a father's gift of love. We have all received him, yet we have lived our lives as though he is not there. Come on. In other words, I want to get saved, but I'm not going to live a saved life. I want to walk with God only when it's convenient to walk with God. He's my father in times of crisis. He's my friend in time of need. But he is a stranger when I want to do what I want to do. we got to be careful of the spirit of the prodigal. Number two, the far country has many roads. In other words, notice the two, that, that the two roads revealed with these two, that the two sons took. Number one, verses 12 to 13 uh, uh, speak of the departure of the younger son. Here is a type of, of lostness or being lost, and it's obvious. It's, uh, uh, it's obvious to uh, us and that, that the younger son was lost. He went away into a, a country not known of anyone, far country. He is not at home. He is in this foreign land. He is not a worker. He is, you know, he is what? He's a waster. He wastes. He doesn't work. Younger son, older son worked. He's, he doesn't. He's not a worker. He wastes. He is not a, a, a lifter up. He's a dragger down. You ever met a dragger down? 
Amen? You ever been friends with a dragger down? You feel really good one minute and you get, you know, they, they walk up to you the next minute. Life is terrible. They drag you down. He is, not a, he is not a creator. He is a destroyer. This is the younger son. He destroys everything he touches. Everything in his life he, that, he, he, that he touched, he destroyed. Why did the younger son go into a foreign country? One reason is he went away because he was seeking to please himself. He was so intent on pleasing himself that he had no thought for any loss of pain that, it might, that might come to anyone else. He didn't care about what everybody else thought. He didn't care about how they felt. In other words, I'm going to do what pleases me. Number one, you need to understand self-pleasing. Self-pleasing is the essence of every sin. Self-pleasing. It, it's going to, what does the Bible say? That, that, that there is pleasure in sin for a season. In other words, I'm going to gratify myself for the moment and I don't really care what effects it has on anybody else. Self-pleasing is the essence of every sin. Now, self-pleasing is expensive. Did you know that? Anybody ever self, had self-pleasing in their life and it cost them something? Nothing can be more so. Someone bent on pleasing themselves is doing to pay a terrible price. I want you to understand, you might be enjoying yourself for a moment, but you're doomed to pay a terrible price. I don't want to hear that kind of preaching on Sunday morning. Well, come to the wrong place. Because there are people paying a terrible price. Because they won't heed sound truth being preached today. We need to hear sound truth, folks. It's not pleasant, but I'm here to tell you that that self-serving spirit will destroy you. And I've heard somebody say, you know what? Just If they go their own way, they'll eventually come full circle. What if the circle gets broken by death? What if they never find their way back? Oh, God, help us today to realize the urgency of this. In other words... If self-pleasing is your God, in other words, people that put these pleasures ahead, that becomes their God in their life. In other words, it'll hurt me and nobody else. You ever heard somebody say that? I'm not hurting nobody. I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah, you are. You're hurting a lot of people. When we do wrong, we hurt a lot of people. There's a ripple effect. No man has ever sinned without wounding somebody else. Amen? Come on. No person has ever sinned without it wounding somebody. In other words, what is the cost? It cost him his fellowship with the Father and all the joys of his home. It cost him his freedom. What tragic irony, the freedom that he went out to seek, he forfeited when he was enslaved himself to feed the pigs. Think about that. He went out seeking freedom and he didn't find anything but bondage. He went out thinking, I'm, I'm bound by the Father. I'm imprisoned in this home, and I'm going to get free, and I'm going to live my life. Oh, my goodness, that, should, that could be carved on so many tombstones today. I'm going to live my life, and I lived my life, and it killed me living it. It killed me living my own way. I want you to know today, the Father is not trying to restrict us. He's trying to free us. He's trying to set you free in a relationship. And when we draw close to the Father, the anointing of the Spirit comes upon our life. But when we distance ourselves from the Father, the anointing of the Spirit, it withdraws. God's not going to strive with evil. 
You say, he's always with me. He's with you to turn to and repent to, but he's not going to bless your life. You say, I know a lot of sinners that are blessed. I'm here to tell you, we can see temporary blessing, but the blessing God talks about is never that you get more money or you get better clothes or you have a nicer car or a nicer home. The blessings God always speaks about when he says, I will bless you. He is not talking about the temporary things that will pass away. He's talking about eternal blessing. He's talking about the anointing of God in your life. He's talking about when everything's falling apart and people are panicking in this world saying oh the pandemic, the pandemic or oh this is going to happen or that is going to happen. I want you to know it is that spirit of anointing that rises up in those who are close to the Father that can say it is well with my soul. It's well with me. My God has got this. It is well with my soul. The cost of this was a broken heart. In other words, his first words to the Father was, Give me a demand. His broken heart cried out, Make me. Just make me new. Just let me be a servant. Your brokenness, if you can get full circle, will result in a make-me moment. It cost him humiliation. Now, we assume this was a Jewish family that Jesus is speaking of. And for those of you that don't know about Judaism, I'll fill you in on something. They don't eat pork. Pigs are considered one of the most unclean animals in the Jewish faith. You don't go around pigs. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even, uh, if you had a farm, you wouldn't have pigs on your farm. They're just considered nasty and unclean animals. So when Jesus is telling this story, he, he is telling the point that he is making about feeding the pigs is not just a casual point. He could have said he was out feeding the sheep, and most Jews would have went, okay. Okay, so he tried to eat grass in the field. and you know. But when he uses the reference of pigs, every religious eye began to lift in the building. Because to be near pigs was one of the greatest defilement, one of the greatest defiling things that could take place in the Jewish faith. And now he's saying this guy wasn't just... just Near the pigs, he was down in the, in the slop with them. That's how far away he had gotten from the presence of the Father and the anointing of God in his life. You say, I know a lot of prodigals this morning. Everyone in this room has been a prodigal. And some of us still are. Some of us still are. If you're saying to yourself, don't call me out, then that's not me then. Talk to God about that. The demise of the younger son is found in verses 14 through 16. First, when he reached the foreign country, what did he do? Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey to a far country, and there he squandered his property. And the Bible says on reckless living. I want to share this with you. The word uh, used in some translations is riotous living, which translates without saving. In other words, he saved nothing. 
He saved nothing. He didn't keep anything back. He spent everything he could spend. And I'm here to tell you, when you're ready to give, when you may think you're giving Satan just part of your life, he'll take it all. He'll take it all. In other words, without saving, he took the gift of his father, the father bestowed on him, and he spent it in a foreign country without making provisions for a later day or later time or later needs in his life. And ultimately, he wasted his life. He wasted not just the father's substance and the father's portion that he had given, but he gave away his anointing. I want you to understand something right now. You can lose everything in this life, but if you lose the anointing of God in your life, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. It is the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. It is the anointing that blows on our lives. And you can, look, that's the difference between somebody that gets up on and teaches a lesson that's good and a person that teaches the lesson anointed. There's a difference between anointed preaching and just good lectures. There's a difference between anointed singing and just good singing. You can hear good singing and it not be anointed of the presence of God. I'm here to tell you the world is not in need of our talents and our ability and our or or, or, or us getting up and being great orators and, and, and expounding on Scripture. What the world is in need of is the anointing of the Father, which only comes from being in the presence of the Father. And when I'm in the presence of the Father, that means there's a living, breathing representation of Jesus on this earth. I'm here to tell you, God's ready to break the bondage off this county and set some people free, but He needs God's people. Oh my goodness, help me preach, Lord. He needs God's people to have it broken off of their lives so that we can be in the presence of the Father and be anointed of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, help me. We need a fresh anointing. We need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit in our lives. This world has heard enough. Oh, that was good. But it's not good enough to set them free. Oh, my goodness. In other words... What did he waste? He wasted his substance, the Bible says. There's more to that than just earthly possessions. In other words, after the money was gone, his soul began to be wasted as well. There's a lot of people who have given out and they get, their substance is gone. God's substance is gone in their life. In other words, there's, there's two words in, in the Greek language. There is the... The word Christma. Christma means the anointing of Christ. And then there's a word called charisma. We've had a lot of charisma, but we need more Christma. Are you following me? We need more anointed things of God. In other words, the substance of his life had been drained. He joined himself to the citizens of that nation. Okay, that, you got to understand the Bible just doesn't throw words in there to fill spaces. Now, when I, back when I wrote term papers, I would throw a bunch of words in there to fill spaces. Come on. When I was in college, I was just trying to get the term paper written. Okay? But the Bible wasn't them saying, mm, I need a word to go there. Let's just say he joined himself to that country. Citizens. No, joining means that he decided, I've left the Father now I'm going to just join up with who I'm around. In other words, you will be a part of what you hang out with. You'll eventually join in. If you're not strong in the Lord and have the anointing of God in your life, you will eventually take part in the things that you say you'll never take part in. 
You got to what? Look, and you say, "Oh, get them young people." I'm getting everybody in this room. Some of us need to be careful who we're hanging with. I like what Jensen Franklin says: "Show me your friends, I'll show you your future." I'll go a step further. You show me your friends, I'll show you your present. You say, I thought we were supposed to be salt and light and affect this world. The difference is simply this. If you are not the one affecting them and they're affecting you, then that equation's over right there. It's, it's, it's false right there. In other words, if I'm not, and look, again, this isn't towards the youth only in this room. This is towards us adults. Some of us are hanging with folks that are affecting us more than we're affecting them. And if we want to change this world, then guess what? The only way you're going to be able to turn the tide and affect this world for Jesus is to be in the presence of the Father. Amen. To be in the presence of the Lord. And when you're in the presence of God, then something amazing happens. I love the Old Testament. It is full of richness and, and stories about the goodness of God and the power of God. And, and there are parts of it that terrify me when I read it. Uh, you know, but I love the Old Testament. But one of my favorite stories is that, that Moses went on top of the mountain to receive the laws of heaven and the laws of God. And when he comes down, the Bible says that there was the sound of war in the camp as Israel had turned their hearts to their own desires, their own ways and their own plans. They said, all right, God's killed him, so let's get us a God that we can see. Let's get us a God that we can touch. And so they formed and fashioned the golden calf and they worshipped it and they made that an idol in their life. You said, shame on them, but shame on us that have made ball a worship in our life or we've made sports a worship in our God in our life or we have elevated an individual in a relationship to the God in our life. There are a lot of golden calves in the church today. There are a lot of golden calves. And I'm here to tell you... Mm, I appreciate the word that was preached last night at Connect to, our, to my kid. I appreciate it. said, you can throw a ball like a professional, but if you don't know the word of God, you're going to fail. You say, oh, you against it. No, I'm not against it. I'm just saying if we're not influencing, if we're not being the influencer, then something's wrong. If we're not affecting this world, you can be, what does the Bible say? If the salt has lost its savor, it's no longer good, then just let it be trotted under the feet of pigs. Let it, throw it out and let it be trampled, trampled underfoot because it's no good to flavor anymore. I want you to know right now, God is ready for us to, I, I think it was Michael Lee said last week or, or a few weeks ago, let's get salty in this building. In other words, he's not, that, that term's used to being you know, harsh or angry or upset. I'm here to tell you, God is ready for you and I to flavor this world around us instead of the other way around and that will not happen outside of the anointing and that cannot happen when we're far away in another country yes. serving our own God doing our own thing amen let me wrap this up say so I thought what about the older son we're getting that next week he joined himself to the citizens of that nation and what did they do said so we don't care if you're a part of us you're only good to feed the pigs because you have nothing to offer because your substance is gone. Now, I, I'm going to share something a little bit different here. You can have talents, gifts, and anointing from the Lord. And that anointing, even when you use it in the wrong way, will stay with you for a while. Did you know that? But eventually the anointing will fade. The more you turn to your own way 
I've seen it happen with a lot of people. I've seen, I've seen some gifted, talented people that used their talent for the Lord and was anointed. Oh, my goodness. They would sing. People would fill the altar. They would play an instrument. People would fill the altar. They would preach. They would fill the altar. But then they turned their lives over to the world. And for a while, that presence that they had with God, that charisma, that draw, that, that, that the anointing. You know, somebody anointed of the Lord will draw you towards them. Have you found that to be true? You ever been talking to that person? There's, a few years ago, <clears throat> several of our teachers talked about one of the teachers retiring in the elementary school. And they said, oh, what are we going to do? That was our prayer warrior. We all went to her for prayer. You know what they were drawn to? Not her, but they were drawn to the anointing in her. The Jesus in her. And I'm here to tell you, we, we need God to draw and change people's lives. It is not about the plans or the programs. And we will have that presence and that draw for a while, but the further we get from, from the presence of the Father, the more that anointing lifts off of our life. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know if you know who Sam Kennison is. He's dead now. Sam Kennison was a very popular comedian, but do you realize he started out as a Pentecostal preacher? And in part of his act, he would cut into part of the sermon that he used to do. And you could see glimpses of what once was there. It's so sad. If we're not careful, we'll get too far away. And we may have to be brought to the pig pen. And listen, there's no guarantee that you'll come to yourself like the prodigal did. There's no guarantee. I've seen people hit rock bottom that never got out of rock bottom. I've seen people that hit rock bottom and wanted out of that place. And they could not, for some reason, find their way back. And before long, it took their lives. So where do they stand with God? I'll leave them in God's hands. I'll just leave them there. But we need to be careful what we teach, what we preach, and what we share. No one gave him anything. The only interest they had in him was for his labor to feed the pigs. Each for himself. If he fails, he dies. So what? That was the attitude of the people he joined himself with. I've got news for you. This world could care less whether you live or die. The faraway country gave him nothing. They had no pity. They had no sympathy. They offered no help. Today, as we get ready to leave this place, my challenge to you is simply this. How close are you to the Father? There have been times in my ministry, I'm going to tell you, I thank God for godly mamas. I know Mother's Day's coming up, we'll celebrate them. But I am thank God for, do you thank God for godly mamas? I do. Some of y'all are only sitting here today because of a godly mama. Amen. But I remember when I returned from the mission field, mom and dad had moved to South Georgia to Baxley. And so 
I had nowhere to go. I mean, I, I'd gotten back when you, well, I was broke. I didn't have no, a dime to my name. I got back from the mission field, and so the only thing I did, I went home. I had not lived at home since I was a senior in high school. I left for college and never came home as far as permanently living. And so I get back to my father's house, and everybody that used to call me for revivals thought I was still overseas. So, and I, you got to understand my my personality. I'm not going to call up churches and say, "Hey, when do you want me to come to a revival?" I was just not geared that way. Some people were, and that's their, that's them. I was not. So because people didn't think I was home, so I ended up taking a job as a substitute teacher. And that turned into a full-time job as a music teacher at Appling County Middle School for, for the remainder of that year because the, the music teacher got sick, couldn't return to work. And they told me, said, we're going to put you under contract for just the rest of this year because we think she'll be back. And uh, I got comfortable. I went to church. I led worship. I'd do youth activities with the youth. I, didn't, I wouldn't accept the youth pastor there because I was planning on being gone again on the road. I got comfortable. And I got miserable. Because in, though I was home and though I was going to church and though I was working with youth and I was doing all these things for God, I did not realize I had journeyed in my heart and mind to a faraway country. And one day my mom was walking through the house. And I know it's hard for y'all to believe, but I used to work out. So I was going to, the, to go play tennis, and then I was going to go lift weights and with a friend of mine. Good people, like I said, good people. Went to the church. He played piano for the church. Fell in love with him and his little family, and I hung out with him a lot. And my mom was walking through the house, and she slammed down the laundry basket. And she said, I'm just going to say this once. And she pointed her finger in my face, and she said, you have lost your anointing. And whatever you got to do, son, you better get it back, because people don't want to hear you. They're not drawn to you. They're drawn to the presence of God in you. And right now, you're far away. It hurt, boy. And you know what my reaction was? I fell on my knees and repented. No, I got mad. I looked at her and told her she didn't know what she was talking about, grabbed my tennis racket, headed out the door. I never got to Tony's that night. I sat at the river and I just bawled my eyes out. And I made my way home. What are you saying, Pastor? Some of us need to make our way home. Will you stand? Some of us have drifted from the anointing of the Spirit and we need to make our way home. We're going through the motions, but we're not home. We have... No anointing in our life. And I'm here to tell you, if we are going to see a county changed, we must be anointed. And anointing is not me pouring oil on your head. Anointing is the touch of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
that the presence of Jesus draws people to hear your testimony of how he changed you. Amen? I love the Gospels. I love the story of Peter. I love the story of Matthew. I love the story of Paul. I love the story of the men and women that gave their lives to Jesus and changed the, changed the world around them. But you're a gospel in the making. What is your story? What are you sharing with the world around you? And I'm here to tell you, charisma will draw people to you, but anointing will draw people to Jesus. We don't need charisma in this church. We need anointing. Anointing. Because I've never saved a soul and neither have you. It is Jesus that saves, delivers, and sets free. So my call this morning is simply this. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. It's time to come back to the presence of God. It's time to not just go through the motions of worship, but to worship from our heart. It's time not just to, for our leaders to get up and teach a class, but to teach under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Well, they'll do some clever things, and that'll, that'll keep their attention. I've got news for you. The anointing will keep their attention better than anything. I want to remind you that I'm not preaching something crazy because did you realize the Son of God Himself understood the anointing? Why? Because His very first phrase was to go to the, to, to the synagogue in Nazareth and He read what? Isaiah, which says, The Spirit of the Lord has what? Is upon me, has anointed me. Who anointed Him? He, he was the Son of God. He didn't say, I anointed me. He said, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. This morning, we need it, church. So my question is, who wants the anointing? This altar's open. Who needs a fresh touch? This altar's open. Who's ready to see people drawn to Jesus and not to them? Amen? In other words, who's ready to be? Come on home. Come on home. That's up to you. This altar is open right now. Will you come? We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.